coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. Because being nice in the world of business, to me, that's not really what gets people far. So it's all about understanding and educating, right? Hey, hire this person who's formerly incarcerated. Look at the data on how long they last. What would that do for your retention? What would that do for your business and your operations point of view? So before being a youth, youth founder, the issue was just educating the employers, right? And learning what I needed to tell them past. Hey, can you just hire a formerly incarcerated person? Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 115. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Andre Pert. Andre is CEO and founder of Untapped Solutions, the first AI-powered platform that serves to help untapped populations find jobs, including the formerly incarcerated, homeless, those with mental health challenges, and veterans. Andre understands the difficulties of finding a job after spending five and a half years in prison. Untapped Solutions has grown quickly, and the company is now headquartered in Atlanta. Last month, Aria was one of 20 of only 23 founders in the U.S. to be accepted in Google for Startups Black Founders Fund. Andre, I'm so glad to have you on the show today. This is going to be an awesome conversation. Definitely. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Natalie. My my pleasure. And I, I know you're up if you're from the up, up north in the Yonkers area, but yet you're you're based down in Atlanta. So I just want to say, number one, I grew up in the Bronx. Number two, I spent three years of head of, as head of school in Atlanta, so I can connect on both fronts. And I'm really, really excited to have you here. Uh, I would love to talk with you, um, you know, the, the the mission, the work you're doing, for me at least, is pretty unique. And I would say very special, you know, because it's always important to think about helping people and especially helping people who've been down and out. And I know that that was your journey to a degree. We should, we should certainly talk about it more. But as I mentioned to a guest of mine, I just recorded a previous conversation not that long ago. We're talking about the fact that the Jewish high holidays are two weeks from now. And so it's a time of thinking about reflection, introspection, repentance, change. Um, and so I'm, I'm really, really focused and excited about the topic that we have here. And I'm curious to know, how did you get into this direction? In other words, you had your own experience. Talk us through that a little bit, but more importantly, what was it about that experience that caused you to pivot in the way that you did to now provide a resource and a lifeline, I would say, for so many individuals? Definitely. Great question. And as many times that I've been asked that question, uh, there is no short way to ever answer this question. But uh, you know that, right? Incarceration. I did five years in state prison. That's just the first reflex of um, being incarcerated, but more so not being incarcerated. The effects of being incarcerated. Felony on my record. New York state laws, United state laws, job descriptions, bias, all that different stuff. Getting out of incarceration, 40 bucks, um, no other money coming in until you find that employment. Coming out with a bachelor's degree, scrubbing toilets at New York sports club gym in Harlem, um, and just having to see myself like that, go through the struggle of hopping trains to see caseworkers to get this program completed, you know, anger management completed, parenting classes in Queens, um, super overwhelming stuff and probably like super overwhelming stuff um coming up out of state prison i was seeing men and women go back and forth through the process 
um, that opened up my eyes to back in the day thinking like, dang, look at all these dudes coming out of prison before I even went there. And they're just going right back. Um, and they just want to go back and sell drugs. Being back in that shoe now myself, um, it was hard. And I now being not in ignorance to say, look why these individuals are going back. Because um, I actually went back for a whole year. Super hard journey. Went back for a year. Came back out. Was familiar with the struggle now and was able to say, okay, I went back because I wasn't getting this fast enough. Let me go get these resources and focus on this. And let me not listen to the people who keep saying the job is what I need to do when mentally I'm unstable. I just did six years in prison. I'm homeless because you can't live anywhere out of prison that's considered the projects. That's where typically most black and brown individuals are located at, right? Um, and it was just really hard for me. So that was like the first breaking point to thinking we needed something else, right? Um, and so many other things, just then becoming a caseworker, um, finally getting back in the life of normalcy, full-time job, having my own apartment, 17 months later after prison saying, okay, my give back is just be a caseworker for the people who are coming home from prison terrible experience uh, for me to sit there as a caseworker and log people's notes and say, oh, you need um, housing and you need a job. Let me put this in the system and your referral will probably be back in four weeks. And it reminded me, dang, this is what they did to me. And now I'm doing this to other people. And um, that was even a further step for me to say, um, untaps, at that time it was ConConnect before we came on that season. But I knew we needed a technology that was gonna help a lot of us in this sector, get the jobs, get the resources, and better yet, help the caseworkers move the needle faster. Okay, wow. There's, that's, there's so much that you that you had there, and I would love to unpack it a little bit before I actually talk about what you do and how you help people. So, you know, I, I, maybe you could take a minute. Uh, if, if it's a bit touchy, I would totally understand, and you certainly don't have to feel free. You could feel free to decline. But, but I'm curious to know, because I think oftentimes there's a misconception regarding people who are incarcerated down on their luck, you know, and they often think like, well, they're just in this vicious cycle and um, not necessarily interested or eager to do anything much about it. But it sounds like, you know, obviously they brought it upon, you know, whatever the situation was that that got them to that point. What I'm trying to figure out here is when you have somebody who has so many roadblocks to success, how do, how do people, trying to think of the right way to phrase the question you know you you come out you want to start life again you yeah. want to get back on your feet yes. but you know you, you follow what i'm saying so like oh, so yeah. you, you're providing you're providing a tool but what's the real talk us through the real struggle i guess is really the question mentally yeah. and otherwise that people have to deal with just to get back on their feet um yeah we can go deeper into that and that's always an okay topic to talk about because of we're going to have a lot of leaders who are going to listen to this, right? And it's actually good for a perspective point of view. Because other than that, all you ever think, see, is what the you know United States criminal justice shows. You people come back. We have the opportunity set up. They just don't take them. You step out of prison. You have 40 bucks. California, the highest state, um, gives you $125. There is no, let's just talk about the capital you get. There is no more capital after that initial $40 or $125. You are on your own. You then are mandated to do requirements such as anger management for violent offenses. And if you are a drug offense, drug offenses, plus a heap of other requirements, or you go back to prison within New York's 90 days, some states are 60, some states are even 30. That's just the second thing. Then you have life. I had a daughter that I wanted to take care of, met her for the first time. Um, and I had all these other things I was thinking about. I wanted to finish college. Um, just the personal things that I wanted to do that made me think, hey, this is what I need for normalcy to step away from what I did and who I was. 
Nobody asks me about any of those things. So in today's society, the mental is just, I'm just here mentally still locked up because I'm still doing everything that they want me to do because now I'm on a duration of parole or probation for the next few years. So though physical incarceration is done, I'm still state property to a really to a really high scale extent. Like I still have to do everything they say. I still need to do requirements. So my needs and what I think is gonna get me to life is not really of importance yet. So mentally that's super draining. The next thing is you gotta go to a shelter. What if you've never been in the shelter system? Because your parents live in a low income moderate zone where there's drugs being sold, they have you know rules. If you're if your neighborhood's within 500 feet of where drugs are getting sold, you can't live there. It's every black and brown neighborhood in the United States of America. Um, that's everywhere. So you're then forced to a shelter. So now are you not mentally drained? You're in a shelter. And what does that do? You're more mentally drained. You're in a shelter, you're mentally drained, and you're most likely working somewhere that you probably never thought you would work. Um, like me, I was on the back of garbage trucks, doing garbage trucks from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., throwing garbage in it, getting rats jumping out on me, um, crazy stuff that I never thought. At night, I worked intake at a shelter, um, but the gamut of jobs that um, people are not comfortable with, not familiar with, or never saw themselves in. So you have every arena of life that you go through too. Mine just sucks, like sucks to a crazy, crazy extent. And there's really no view of, the sunshine is not anywhere in view. So then ambition is low. And what happens is I go back to selling drugs because that is the best looking thing, right? That's the best looking thing. And if I was a robber, I go back to robbery, right? Because that's the best, easiest looking thing for me to do as somebody who um, is formerly incarcerated versus the crazy right. they got me doing. So um, that's the struggle, man. Um, and that's what's happening every day that people are getting out of prison. So I want to hear a little bit about your mindset because I'm a, I'm a big yeah. I'm a big mindset guy. Uh, I train on it and things like that. And 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 to me, what I want to know is what made you different. How did you get out of that out of that hellacious cycle, if you will, and bring right. yourself? You said you took jobs and whatnot, which is fantastic. And I'm sure, despite yeah. the difficulty of it, it was moving you forward. But what was your process? What was the what was the inner game you were playing there? The inner game was man. Um, I've always been ambitious, right? And um going back into like my past life before prison, um, I'll share articles with you and stories, but before prison, I sold drugs. Um, I sold drugs to the extent that um, the news, you know, featured me and stuff, right? That means it's not small to drugs. I've been ambitious in everything that I decided to do that I that I enjoyed doing in ever in my life. Anything, you know, from raising my kids, love doing that, very ambitious in that. Selling drugs, past life, love doing that in my past life was very ambitious, made it very far places. I came out of prison and saw that the ambition never left. I just did, I just noticed again, I didn't like these things, so I wasn't thriving. I didn't like working at a shelter and telling people no. I didn't like being on the garbage truck at, as my overnight job. Um, I didn't like being locked into parole. So just trying to figure out, all right, what do I like? And when you saw, when I saw no opportunity, really, I just thought of the business. Let me start a business that can probably fix all of these things. And of course, like most of us do, we like what we start. We like our businesses. Founders love their businesses. So again, I finally, for first time in about a year and a half, I found something that I loved, right? So that I can put my mind to, and this was a business. And I loved it even more for what the mission was going to be about. Um, so I loved the, the fact that I started Compunet and I actually just took that ambition, took it there, went full-fledged, found mentorship and entrepreneurship, knowing that I was a different kind of entrepreneur and never a legal venture capital kind of entrepreneur that I wanted to be. Found a mentor who can help me in that. And um, we took the game running from there. 
Awesome. So in addition to finding mentors, and I'd like to learn more about that as well, what was it that allowed you to get your dream, your new vision started? You know, you talked about having no capital, talking about these low paying jobs. How How did you get enough momentum and enough cash flow to be able to start building this thing? So initially, um, I want to say about a year and a half in, um, I started working as a personal trainer, which is what my education was in. So I finally had got that good job being a personal trainer at Equinox, became number number one in the company within four months of being there in sales. Um, left from there about after seven months, went to New York Sports Club for a higher pay grade and became the number one um, trainer there in sales for 20 uh, months in a row. That brought me in thousands of, of dollars, a lot of capital. And I actually started building, um, we bootstrapped the platform all the way to venture capital. Hmm. And that was something that you were involved with before. In other words, this this piece on uh, uh, you know the the uh, all 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 of the the well the, the the health and wellness that was an area you had been focused on in your youth, or you just kind of picked that up afterwards. I picked that up in prison, man. Um, my mom had passed away from a stroke, health, which you know comes from diabetes, different health issues, and I changed my major from journalism and technology at that time. I changed it over to health and health and wellness, sports science. Um, and drove it from there. So coming home, my journey was going to be all about physical fitness, health, and never actually, never actually tech entrepreneurship. So what do you find are the biggest challenges in helping your potential clients and placing them? So the biggest challenges um, really in helping us was um, getting employers to understand, you know, moving past the, hey, this person has a criminal record, right? And um, you know, I'm very transparent. I don't go to actually go to employers and say, hey, do a good deed. Hire this person with this criminal record because you should. Because um, being nice in the world of business, to me, that's not really what gets people far. So it's all about understanding and educating, right? Hey, hire this person who's forming a Look at the data on how long they last. What would that do for your retention? What would that do for your business and your operations point of view? So before being a youth, youth founder, the issue was just educating the employers. Right. And learning what I needed to tell them past, hey, can you just hire a formerly incarcerated person? As I grew, as I grew into this, right, it was more so a swifter process and even and became even swifter because um we now just have a different way on how we pass talent over to employers. So what is your process in terms of vetting and how do you and, and what actually are those statistics? You made it seem like there's a a greater likelihood, if I heard you correctly, on retention, that if they're gonna hire your your clients that they're ultimately going to be happier and have a better long-term relationship. Is that in fact correct? I'm not, I'm not that hearing is, you now. Yeah, can you hear me now? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, she's, um, forgive me for for this one. So if you, I don't know if you do oh, any- she's really cute. Yeah. <laughs> but um, when it came to, yeah, we have a lot of data, man. So formerly incarcerated people on average, according to the data, and this is Second Chance Business Coalition, Prison Policy Initiative. These are very two well-established organizations with very good, accurate data that's respected everywhere. Formerly incarcerated uh-huh. people work twice as long and last twice as long as traditional hires. So on average, it lasts about six years in the workplace. That um, versus traditional hire is pretty much three years. So they're lasting twice as long. U.S. military has noticed they promote people who are just as impacted to sergeant faster than traditional people that join the military. So that's some of the data. With our system, everybody we place, we have a 93% retention rate. And the reason we do that is because, again, our model is never, hey, get this formerly incarcerated person or get this person who's recently unhoused or this person who's fighting homelessness. It's when we send you them, we have already understood their challenges in life 
and our assist technology and AI is smart to connect them with childcare, a reentry manager, a person. So by the time they are ready to go to work, they have no outside challenges such as transportation, childcare, and you as the employer never get to see any of those biases or stigmas you've heard about because we built the perfect model to make sure you're not just getting a hire who probably has all these things in the outside world that they need and then they can't show up on Thursday because they have parole. They have program Friday. We get that all synced out so they can show up and be their best selves. And you see none of that as the employer, right? And that's what, that's what our model has grown to be. So we work mm. with 3,000 organizations, shelters, nonprofits, as a case management platform where they can get their individuals on our platform and then get them placed in our employer partners in a seamless, fast manner. Oh, so it's much more involved than I thought. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were. I thought you were just taking people who were, who were, uh, you know, formally in, in in the systems, whichever whichever challenges they had, you know, encountered previously, and just yeah. trying to help them find work. But it sounds like you're providing a whole level of support prior to that process. Is that correct? That's exactly right. So we're exact. We're a case management and workforce platform. So we're three sided. Me as a formerly incarcerated person, I can get on my platform, right, and I can find resources, healthcare services. They can help me get banking. So that way I'm stable when I find employment or it can be I get employment, then start to find the other resources. But for the thousands of caseworkers who help these clients, we're a CRM, we're a case management platform that is very smart. It bring help them upload their clients. They get their clients in jobs faster. Their clients who are battered women, they can help them get housing away from the person who was harming them. They can help people who are homeless adapt to resources faster, build case plans in the matter of seconds and really move clients through journeys from when they are not stable in life to being stable in life. So our technology is wow. growing fast because it's helping caseworkers and social workers, not just really focused on helping employers hire. I love it. I mean, the holistic approach here is is, is so much more involved than I anticipated. Um, so let's, let's go back to something you said before, the probability of somebody staying on their, you know, the, the, the long-term nature of the, of the hire compared to what's pretty typical about double you know, the, the, the typical hire nowadays, why, why do you suppose that is? To be honest, man, we'll start it off with the, one of the first truths, the truths, one of the truths is that a lot of the jobs that are hiring from incarcerated people, they're not the best jobs, right? right? We're now starting to see a crack in the last couple of years. We, we know everything that's happened in a couple of years, all the reform and the violence and the crazy stuff and all the stuff that happened to drive other employers to now offer their jobs right at very low scale, like literally the lowest amount, hey, we'll start with 10 jobs in an industry in a company that has 5,000 plus employers versus the old industries that have been doing it, manufacturing, garbage, retail, restaurant. So jobs you you know, you know have in your youth or even if that's something you take on, you know, right? Whatever kind of jobs we want to consider, but the blue collar sector. When people are there, they last long there because one, that's where they can really only probably be. So that's the first truth, right? Which is an ugly truth because, hey, I really want to work in finances, but they won't hire me because of my background, right? Or, you know, I made a, made a mistake doing some fraud stuff, but I'm changed and I'll never get to get back in working in the finance industry. Or, you know, I did robbery when I was 17 years old. And now actually that almost affects me working everywhere, unless it's like something where I'm literally just outside stuffing boxes or even stuff in boxes, if it's like Walmart, they're like, no, we can't take him. He might steal from the boxes. So you're almost eliminated from anything inside a place where you're probably going to be flagging and being an OSHA person, waving on the on the streets, getting people across the street. Nobody wants those jobs. But when you're forced to work there, you're forced to stay there because you have a family. Like I have my daughter here, right? You got a wife, maybe, and kids, or you got a mother and dad. 
somebody you're taking care of, or you just got yourself, right? And you just got to take care of yourself. And those jobs is where you're forced to stay. So some of the retent that becomes around that. The other good stuff, the good benefits, what that I want to highlight is formerly incarcerated people have always been proven to be more loyal from the appreciation of getting the job. Though it may not be the best job, I appreciate you offering me this job. And that loyalty then sticks to the employer because the employer may not understand what that opportunity has done for that person, right? Allow me to, again, take care of my daughter, allow me to go to parole and pay my wages so I never go back to prison because parole charges me to be home. And employers don't know that. So thank you to the employer. And I'll, stay, and I'll show you that by being on time and staying here when everybody else walks out the door. The second thing is I've already been working the whole time in state prison or jail because I'm forced to work. Um, probably harder, harder, harder labor, labor than you've already offered. So what you've offered me is a walk in the park compared to what I've done cleaning up the facility from nine to seven at night. So, you know, it's the level of work that they're already used to doing versus the level of work that's outside. And it's the opportunity and the appreciation that's given from somebody for that person to really appreciate in the last long day. So all this retention comes from some ugly truths, but it comes from some beautiful things too. Yeah. I love that last point, the way you ended on the appreciation. You know, it's, it's, um, <clears throat> these are ugly truths, but at the same time, when somebody can truly appreciate what their alternatives were, what they have now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you may not think you're doing something meaningful for somebody else, but if you have somebody who's down and out and you just extend to them, it doesn't even have to be a job. It could just be yeah. a smile, a nice word, yeah. a courtesy of some kind, yeah. you know, give them a buck or whatever it is and, and just say, you know, thinking about you, bless you, that kind of thing. Yeah. You're already putting them on the path in the right direction. The appreciation yeah. to have yeah. that and to act upon it is really deep and very powerful. Yes. Yes, it is. So uh, I'm very curious about the AI piece. You know, AI is obviously all the rage and and yeah. uh, you, you seem to be on the front end of it, you know, r- really leveraging it. Talk us, talk us through that a little bit. How has AI been such a foundational piece in your business? How are you using it uh, to help your populations? Yeah, I'm using it in many, many facets. Um, one of the, as we consider like a really brilliant way to use it is use the AI as a caseworker, right? As a module that can understand the same level of somebody's life as a human caseworker could. So what I mean by that is somebody on board to our platform, just like LinkedIn, Facebook, we just do things differently. Our AI assesses, how are you doing? What are your needs? Are you employed? Where are you living? Or how stable is your living condition? How stable is your banking, your income? Um, the things you would see on when you're applying, you know, annual income household. And as we navigate them through that onboarding, we're letting them know why we want this question and what our AI is going to do with it. From there on, it then you log in and it looks like LinkedIn, but other than just getting jobs and services, the AI is smart to help you build a life plan. Hey, you don't have housing that's stable, you're in a shelter or you're living with somebody and it make, generates a to-do list and connects them with the resources so that way they can get back into housing. And as they get housing, hey, let's now focus on, you're working three months, let's focus on now getting you a debit card. So that way the paycheck can start to flow in the, you know, direct deposit. Then it helps, it puts that on their to-do list. So the AI is helping them stay ahead of their life curve, bringing them back to normalcy. And if this person is somewhere at normalcy, you know, they're doing good, they, they're renting, they're married. It just helps. It's making sure that they know about career advancement. Um, it literally catch, meets people at every walk of life and just helps them navigate life to the next step, you know, for the people who are from these underserved communities. For these employers, it's helping them understand who's the best hire for them. Is it, you know, is it somebody from who was homeless? Because what does this person who's experienced homelessness, what um, trans, transitional skills does that relate to in the workforce? 
you know, how ready are they to work? What did that homelessness do to their ambition, their skills, you know, and through our platform, some of that thing, sometimes it riddles a lot of things, right? But most of the time it actually doesn't when you connect people with care coordinators, social workers. And that's why when our app does that, it gets them back to normalcy and gets them back into employment. So employers can see the best kind of talent. The employer's AI can say, oh, wow, this person can work my schedule perfectly overnight because they have all these things going on. Great. It can help them filter through the type of ways they want to diversify. Do you want to diversify with more veterans, more formerly incarcerated? Do you want more, more women in your workforce? and help match their jobs to fit that so they can diversify their workforce. And for caseworkers, it's just streamlining everything a caseworker does, everything around getting their clients jobs, additional programming. It makes the caseworker not have to become a recruiter, a trauma specialist, a nurse, a doctor. It keeps her back, her or him back in, her, in their role of being a caseworker and focusing on the next client. So that way we see the numbers actually go down for once. Wow, so I have two questions for you. Number one, is this platform something you built? Or something that you sort of took like there was some pre-existing like did you have to did you have to create this or is it something that you were able to take from the market and leverage it and uh, let's call it nuance it for your purposes? Yeah, we um, created our app from scratch, so everything we custom coded our app from scratch um, for the past two years, and then as we raised venture capital, we were able to get like high end software engineers inside of our app and start enhancing it. Again, building it from scratch, from literally low-level engineers, offshore, bootstrapping, to now like very seasoned soft, um, senior engineers. So everything is from custom that we built. Got it. And number two, do, what, what does this mean for the future of mental health if AI is able to do all the things that you were describing before? Uh, um, do you still see a yeah. place, a meaningful yeah. place for... What what do you what do you see in, in terms of and by the way this is true for so many industries it yeah. happens to be this is where we're talking so I'm curious to get your take on this this yeah, particular area to, oh yeah I got the perfect answer in regards to mental health <clears> what it is a lot of people who don't understand they are going through mental health issues are seeking the right mental health uh, appropriate ways to get their help this is what we're doing for them a lot of people know that things are out there but it's not seen in front of them nobody's prompting them to do it nobody's guiding them and like you mentioned. Nobody's reaching out and telling them, hey, we're just thinking about, you know, how's your mental health doing? Untapped Solutions is because it's a digital caseworker. It's making it to Dasless. It's reminding you to take care of yourself. It's doing what we know a lot of human beings don't get, right? And then it's also not just saying, hey, do all this. It's like, here's the thing right in front of you. Click this link. We're already integrated with the, with the mental health provider. You just got to go there, right? You know, like bringing, literally bringing people to the water and now to here, just drink it. Right. And we don't got to force you because we're going to keep AI will stand there until you drink it. That's the great thing about AI. It has all the patients in the world. Right. It's not a human being. All the patients are standing there with you. So eliminating like, you know, I can bring you to the well or not, but I can't force you. The AI will now is I'll bring you to the well and the AI will stand with you until you do it. Right. Um, and that's what that's what we're doing. So, yeah, we see a big thing for mental health and all um, all the homelessness, recidivism. Um, just everything, putting opportunity in front of people and guiding them to it and being patient with them and not having a human being always have to general use their, you know, they're generalized. Hey, when they walk through the door, this is the intake they get. This is that. Every person gets the same thing. We're allowing people to not get the same thing and get personalized care. And that's what, um, that's the benefit about AI. And what kind of reaction are you getting when you're talking, obviously, you know, Google's a big fan of yours. Um, when, when you're bringing this product to the market, I'm just curious to know what are, what are people saying? It's too good to be true. <laughs> That's what uh, I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. Good to be true. Um, 
the, the, not the not bad thing, but the thing is we're in a realm of nonprofit realm that's particularly, even if it's in 2023, they're still in 1980 and in 2050, they'll be in 2023. So AI, the internet is still new to them. Like sometimes in these conversations, AI is something that they're like in a lot of them, hey, oh, we get it. Most of them is, you know, we really don't get what this does. You know, does this take our jobs from us, right? We've heard that too as well. We've seen the fear of, dang, this moves fa a client faster than I can, right? You know, maybe I don't want to bring this back to my boss, actually, you know, and talk to about this. So we've seen that. But in the most conversations we've gotten, we're really good because we're most of our staff is ex-nonprofit professionals. I come from the nonprofit sector. It's all about how we were able to talk and express that we've been there. We understand what they're doing. We understand how they hurt at night when their clients are writing their phones and emails saying that the service didn't go through. We know that that their 40 hours of work is 70 hours of work and they're ready to quit their jobs on average in nine months. And we want to help them not do that anymore. So it's all about the narrative and telling caseworkers, everything on our technology is really focused on helping them not be fatigued and move their clients in faster. So that way they can stay at organizations longer and the organizations have higher retention and more impact. So it's a lot, we're seeing a lot, but we're, you know, it's always about the narrative. Yeah. So my, we're going to transition to rapid fire where the answers are shorter. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm, but I, I, before, before I do, I, I, I'm, I'm just, there, there's, there's something in, there's a piece that's missing in my mind. And I'm just wondering, you talked about having a mentor. Was there someone in particular that kind of helped you to put this whole vision together? I know you had your own experience. You obviously yeah. did, you know, didn't work well for you. Uh, you wanted to do it differently and better for somebody else. Was there was there somebody out there kind of like lighting lighting a path for you? Or did you really, in fact, kind of create this on your own? So I definitely created the entire app on my own. Um, what I did have was two people in the very beginning pushed me towards the places I can go obtain knowledge. Um, and one of those individuals was Terrell Hall, who actually came to the prison I was in and was just telling us, like, there's a chance for us to become entrepreneurs that were formerly incarcerated. And um, that sounded different from everybody who told me to come out and just get my OSHA construction license. So I actually yeah. went and found him when I got out, and he guided towards me my first laptop to go work off my business, right? Nothing in the sense of, hey, this is how you construct the business, but hey, here's the things you need. Go sit down in your house, and I'll get to work. And then another guy, Peter Harper, uh, who was the VP of uh, Guinness Book of World Records at the time, or at least transitioning out, but um, again, just mentorship, right? Um, how do you, you know, here's Andre, this is how you write your business plan, right? I did get that yeah. in the very stages from the from two really important individuals. And once they set this, the foundation for somebody who was an ex-drug dealer trying to go legit and find out the venture capital world, um, I constructed everything there on out myself. That's so that's such a powerful message because you know, I know myself, for example, when I transitioned out of school leadership into coaching, so I didn't have necessarily a template a blueprint i just sort of like was looking at different ideas and whatnot if i would have had somebody who i really took on as a mentor it would have saved me a lot of time and really yeah. give me a lot more focus and direction yeah. and i would say purpose in those early years when i was still trying to figure it all out so i know you did a lot on your own but it really yeah. is good to have those folks in your Somehow I muted myself there for a second. Going to the uh, the rapid fire, who is a founder or a leader you most try to emulate? Oh, man. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I'm just going to Elon Musk. Yes. <laughs> okay. 
What do you wear to important meetings? My, this shirt right here. Right there. Okay. And a productivity tip that helps you to get more done. Oh, I'm just doing now. Do it just now. do it now. Just do get it, it done. Do Two it minute now. rule. No, one touch. Got it. Okay, fantastic. So let everybody know, please, Andre, where they can find you, learn more about your work, uh, support you, and uh, support those that you support to ensure Definitely. that uh, you know that you, your your message and your work is amplified. Definitely. Thank you for that. Um, UntappedSolutions.io. We posting jobs. We let you post jobs for free. We offer a free platform for underfunded nonprofits too, as well. And um, we're free for all untapped populations, and we never charge all untapped populations, the homeless, formerly incarcerated, BIPOC, and we're untapped solutions on all social media. Awesome. Final, I, I got to ask you for a life lesson. You've shared so much already. And uh, even in your, in your, in your, your young years, you've, you've experienced so much, maybe more than most other people in their entire lifetimes. I'd love yeah. to hear one final life lesson from you, Andre, to end our session on a high. Yeah. Do something risky in life. Uh, that's my life lesson. And I say that because when you, if you ask a lot of people in life, you know, do something really risky. Let me elaborate on that. Do something really risky. A lot of people go through their life and never done nothing risky. They don't, they live life comfortably. Like, you know, I'm never going to do that. That sounds, I'm not too comfortable, right? Or I'm not going to try that out. And they just think about it. I think people should live, um, take, I think everybody should take one big risk in life, right? Nothing that's going to maybe drown your financial for good if you got kids and family, but um, take a big risk in life. Take a take a leap on what you're thinking about doing and just take a risk. Because if you don't take it, um, you'll never know. I've always obviously been into taking risks. And now I've been taking bigger risks in the legal world. And um, things are going really great. All right. Well, you should have much continued success, a lot of blessing. Um, I think anyone who hears your message and your story uh, would, would get squarely behind it. And um, and I'm hopeful that uh, you, you will continue to build many, many great things uh, for everyone who needs it. So uh, it's been a real inspiration talking with you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with me. And um, I hope to have new, other opportunities to connect with you in the future. Definitely, man. Thank you, Nicole. Appreciate you. You too. Bye-bye now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen. 